We are cross. Because you love the world so much, you're willing to make that sacrifice of your son so that we might have everlasting life. Father, would you help us this morning to understand that even more fully than we ever have? That we would not take for granted what you have done for us? That we might not say, yes to that sacrifice, yes to trusting you on some level and then go and live our lives our own way. We know that that is not honoring to you. We know that that's not an acceptable way to live. Pray that we would understand more fully today what it means to live by faith, to walk with you, and to trust you for every aspect of our lives. Would you guide us now, Father, by your Holy Spirit as we unlock your word and we look at it together? He is the key which will help us understand it and apply it to our hearts and lives. I pray that that would be the case this morning, that we would hear your voice and none other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. When it comes to philosophies of life, there's really only two ways to live. The most common way is to live by sight, that is, to live life based on what we can see. I mean, humans love the tangible, right? The visible. We like to put our hands on things. We we like to be able to handle things. We like to be able to figure it out for ourselves with our own eyes. That's why men hate instructions. We would rather just grab it. And figure it out. Even if we do it wrong a couple of times, we want to figure it out for ourselves rather than just read about it. We want to see it. And because we love the tangible, because we love the here and now, what we see and what we feel, we're all building things in this tangible world, aren't we? We're building marriages. We're building relationships. We're building families or we're building careers, or we're building bank accounts and investments, we're building homes and businesses. We are all, all of us, in some fashion, building a life. We're building a life in this physical world, and that's natural. That's to be expected. But here's the problem. If that's all we're doing... At some point, we have to recognize that everything that we can see and everything that we're building in this tangible world is going to go away. You don't have to live on earth very long before you realize that everything has a life cycle. We've been working on our building over here. I don't know how many people went over and took a peek this morning. Everybody needs to go over and take a peek. It's awesome. It's going to be great. I know you're all enamored with this tent, and you love it, and you want to stay here forever. I get it. It's really cool. But in a couple of months, it's going to be very, very cool, and I don't think you're going to enjoy it as much. So go look at the building. It's great. It's going to be wonderful. But do you know what? I know we hate to think about this because we're not even in it yet. But eventually, that building is going to have to be replaced. Now, I'm not going to do it. 
My grandchildren are going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Our careers, well, we can't do them forever. Even our marriages, even the best ones. What do we say when we commit our lives to each other? Till death do us part. What about the future? What's coming? We don't know. We don't know because we can't see the future. It is unknown to us. Now the other way to live is to live by faith. To live your life, to base your life on what cannot be seen. To base your life on what God says. We can't see God. We can't see Jesus Christ, our Savior. We, we can't see the Holy Spirit. But we've been talking the last couple of weeks about faith and about the fact that faith is believing that what we cannot see exists. That it's true. And that we can base our lives on it. One of the ways that God reveals himself to us is his eternality. If you've been in some of our theology classes that we've done over the years, you will know that God's eternality means that God simply is. He is past, He is present, He is future. He is all of those things, all of the time. God does not merely exist in the present like we do, but He sees all equally. And if we're going to be able to live this life and live by faith, Rather than just by sight, we must believe that God knows the future because He is there already. We trust that He does even when we do not. In fact, the very nature of faith is trusting God in the unknown. And that makes us uncomfortable. Because we don't like the unknown, do we? We want everything to be laid out. We want everything to be figured out. We want to see four steps ahead. But that's not what it means to live by faith. Now we're going to continue to look at Hebrews chapter 11 today. We started a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to start our look at Abraham's life. We're going to look at Abraham over the next couple of weeks And we're going to see some very important truths about Abraham that I think we can bring into our lives even now in 2023. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. If you have your Bibles with you, open them and join me there and follow along. If not, you can watch on the screen with us. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, this story about Abraham is back in the book of Genesis in chapter 12. That's where we get introduced to Abraham. And this is where God called him. Now, you need to understand a couple of things here that are not quite clarified here in the Hebrews passage. But when we put Hebrews and Genesis together, we find out that Abraham lived in a land called Ur. You are. Ur. That was his homeland. That was where all of his family was. That's where all of his connections were. That's where his work was. And he had no plans to leave. 
And in fact, we read there and here both that when God called him to leave Ur, he didn't even know where he was going. In fact, in Genesis, it's recorded this way, go and I will show you the land that you're going to. And Abraham, we see here, obeyed by faith. Now, what does that mean that Abraham did? If you were here last week and you remember, what does that mean? It means that Abraham altered his walk. Remember we talked about that? If we're going to walk with God, that means we have to alter our walk to keep pace with him. And that's what Abraham did. He was cruising along. He was living life. He had a wife. He had a family. He had a business. But he changed all that. He was willing to set it aside to walk with God and to go where God was going to show him. Now, there's something interesting here. We can't really see it in our English Bibles, but that phrase, not... uh, that he obeyed when he was called literally means that as God was calling him, as God was speaking to Abraham, he started moving. He started the process of going. Even before God was done calling him. To trust God and to head into the unknown. Now, clearly, Abraham had a willingness to go and to trust that the eternal God knew what was ahead, even though he did not. That's a lot of faith, isn't it? Don't you think? I think that's a lot of faith. I mean, half the time, I struggle with doing what I know God wants me to do when it's difficult, even when I know where it is we're going. God says, hey, this is where we're going, and I'm saying, I'm not sure if I want to go there. But Abraham didn't even know. Here's my theory. Abraham didn't want Ur anymore. He wanted to follow God. And by the way, for us, my friends, that is a sure sign of the growth of our faith. And our walk with God when we don't want to follow those sinful patterns anymore. Is it just me, or do we, even after we trust Christ as our Savior, do we not still struggle with sin? Do we not still struggle with the old patterns, the old ways of life? But that's a sign of the growth of our faith. We don't want those things anymore. I don't want that. I want God more. I want to walk with Him more. And when we want to do what's right, we do so. We trust Him. We have faith that obedience is the surest path to God's care and His blessing and His provision. And that's what Abraham wanted. Look at verse 9. By faith... He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
So you need to notice something that I think is incredibly important and instructive for us here, and that is that Abraham immediately obeyed. He immediately followed God. Let's go. We're leaving Ur. We're leaving all of our family, and we're going this way. But even though he immediately left to go to where God had sent him, I want you to notice that he didn't immediately inherit that land. He didn't immediately possess it. even though we follow God to it. I want you to notice there that it says he went to live in the land of promise. So eventually God did, of course, reveal where they were going. They were going to Canaan. They were going to this land that would be the land, the dwelling place of Abraham's family once that family that God had promised him came. But Abraham went to the land, but when he went and lived there, it was still just the land of promise. He didn't inherit it. In fact, I don't know if you knew this or not, how well you know your Old Testament uh, information and history and stories, but Abraham, in fact, never did own it. Did you know that? This promise that God had made to Abraham, he never did own it. It never did become his. Does anybody know when it actually became Abraham's family? Anybody know? No, nobody knows. Okay, I'll tell you. When Joshua led the people of Israel in and they conquered the land. You remember the walls falling down in Jericho? Anybody ever watch VeggieTales? If you haven't read your Old Testament, okay. They go in. They conquer Jericho, they go to Ai, they get smoked at Ai because there was disobedience and sin in the camp. Then they go back and they destroy Ai, and they march through the land, and they defeat it. And then Joshua says, this is what we're going to do. This tribe has this part, this tribe has this part. This. That was hundreds of years after Abraham. Abraham didn't own this land, he just lived in it as a land of promise. He knew God was going to give it to him, and he lived there by faith, even though he didn't own it. I want you to notice it says they lived in tents. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, well, Mike, everybody lived in tents back then. Well, you would be what is known as wrong. They didn't all live in tents back then. Tents were not considered permanent dwellings. Even back in Abraham's time, Abraham was a nomad. They had houses. They built buildings. But Abraham lived in a tent because he hadn't realized the promise yet. It was future You see, my friends, I want us to understand something very well here because if we're going to take this seriously, this walking with God, this living by faith, you need to know something. It is going to require patience. It's going to require a lot of patience. Remember last week when I said that Tim and I used to sit in the office dreaming about what might be five years and ten years and we never dreamed that we would 20 years later be in a tent? 
patience. How many people want to meet in the building next week? Patience. (laughs) Patience. That's what it takes to live by faith. Because not all that is promised happens immediately, does it? Let me ask you something. If you're here this morning and you are a Christ follower, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I came up here and I had this inf- I don't have this information. This is a hypothetical. And I came in here and I said, guys, Jesus Christ is coming back a week from today. Next Sunday at 1045, Jesus is coming back. What would we do? We would all immediately go out and we would do everything that we know that we should be doing as Christ followers, right? We would go right to our family that did not know Christ and we would beg them, please understand that God loves you and that Christ died for you and that if you do not trust Christ and repent of your sin, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Wouldn't we do that? I would get in my car And I would drive to North Carolina where my nephew lives who does not know Christ. And I would say, you got to do it, Seth. you got to do it because Christ is coming back. And why would we do that? Because we can do anything for a week, right? He's coming back in a week. Let's go. We would rip out of here. I mean, there'd be fender benders in the parking lot trying to get out of here because we know we can do it. He's coming back in a week. Let's go. I don't know if he's coming back in a week. Maybe. Or maybe it's going to be 25 more years. Or maybe it's going to be when my great-great-grandchildren are walking with the Lord. I don't know. Walking by faith requires patience. We need to have strength. We need to, have keep, we need to keep going. Because we believe that the God who exists, remember last week, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. And we must believe that He exists. That He always has been and always will be. By the way, what is the promise that we're waiting for? Look at verse 10. For he was looking forward, Abraham that is, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The promise for Abraham was a city. Promise for Abraham was a forever home. In fact, 
the ultimate promise for Abraham is the same promise that it is for us. It's heaven. It's the same promise. Yes, Abraham was promised the land of Canaan. Yes, Abraham had faith that God was going to give that to his family. But ultimately, Abraham was waiting for a city whose builder and maker was God. The secret of Abraham's patient faith was his hope and trust that God was building a place for him and for his family that would last for eternity, even if he ne- listen, even if he never realized these promises here on earth. I don't know about you guys, but I would love, I would love to realize all of God's promises right now. I would love to realize all of His promises here on earth in this life, wouldn't you? Nobody else wants to. Man, that is discouraging. I want it now. I want His promises now. Some of them may come to fruition, my friends, and some of them may not. You may not realize everything that God has promised you here on this earth. You may not live a life full of all of the blessings that you dream of on this earth. Everything that we build here, even when we're walking with God, everything that we build here has flaws. It's not perfect. There's pain. There's loss. There's disappointment. Even in all of our collective wisdom, even in all of mankind's collective wisdom, our work is flawed. I'm sure many of you have seen a lot of news stories over the past couple of years about what's happening in some of our cities. San Francisco was once considered the most beautiful city in our country on the bay. Prime real estate. Everyone's desired place to live in that part of the country. Now in some areas, burglaries are up 300%. Chicago is the third largest city in our country, a very influential and wealthy city. Overall, crime is up 82% since 2021. Vehicle theft is up 223% in the last two years, and there are 30 to 50 shootings every weekend. Everything that we build is flawed. But this city, the one that Abraham hoped for, the one that we hope for, is designed and built by God himself. When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, do you remember this over in the book of John? When Jesus was getting ready to go and he was talking with his disciples and he spent that whole evening with them, And they started to get nervous because he kept talking about leaving. 
And do you remember how he comforted them in John chapter 14? He said, don't let your hearts be anxious. Don't let them be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, you may be also. That's how he comforted them. With this city, this perfect place, our permanent home, That's why Paul, when he is talking to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3, and he's encouraging them to keep going, he's saying, I don't want you to give up. I want you to keep serving God. I want you to be faithful. In order to do that, he said, you need to fix your eyes on the things that are above, not on the things on this earth. Because what happens? What happens when we're captivated by what's happening on this earth? Anybody done that lately? Anybody felt it? What happens when we're looking at all this, when we're looking at our decaying cities or our decaying communities or all the sin and all the filth and all the perversion that's going on around us and the blasphemy of our precious God? What happens? We get discouraged and we get tired and we want to give up. Paul said, Don't fix your eyes on what's down here. Fix your eyes on what's coming, on the things that are above. Look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. So, I mean, we haven't talked much about this this morning, but if you read in Genesis 12 and 15, when God reiterated his promise to Abraham, you would see that the promise was not just about land. It was about family. God said, I'm going to give you this great land, and I'm going to make your family great. I'm going to make it powerful. I'm going to make your family influential. And I'm going to make your family huge. That's what he said. I'm going to make your family huge. There was only one issue. Some of you know the story though, right? There was only one issue. Um, Sarah couldn't have children. They didn't even have one child. And Sarah was 90 years old. She was far past her childbearing years. And we don't talk about this too much, but in Genesis chapter 18, when God came and spoke to Abraham and reiterated the promise, um, Sarah, if you read that passage was back behind the flap of the tent, and she was laughing. She was laughing at God. Of course, she was doing it on the inside, so no one would hear her, except the problem was she was laughing at God, and God knew she was laughing. And he said, why are you laughing? I wasn't laughing. No, I wasn't laughing. She was laughing. This is ridiculous. 
Do you know what I love about this verse? Can I just throw this in here? I love that this verse in the faith chapter mentions Sarah who laughed at God when she promised when he promised her a son. But Sarah is still mentioned here. God gives testimony to the overall arc of Sarah's life, which was faith, not a couple of times of doubt and disbelief. What an example to us of God's grace. I don't suppose there's anyone else here in the tent this morning who has ever had an instance of doubt or disbelief in their lives. Anyone else besides just me? How glad are you that God smiles upon you because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and his blood which covers our sins and not on those instances that flare up every once in a while? Thankful for that? I am. Verse 12. Therefore, from one man, that's Abraham, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I particularly enjoy this description of Abraham. Um, He was 99. I'm 53, and sometimes I feel like I'm as good as dead after some days. But Abraham was 99, Sarah was 90, and let us just say that the functions of human reproduction were over for both of them. Okay? At this point, but God, but God gave them a son. They named him Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? It means laughter. from the laugh of derision and cynicism to the laugh of joy and relief and promises fulfilled. Even then, it didn't really take off for Abraham's family. That was it, just Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons, and 400 years later, the Israelites numbered 1.5 million. And it's gone from there. Why? I've had a few why moments this week. I don't know how your week has been, but a few times I've asked God why. Why did God do it this way? I mean, God gave the promise, right? He can do whatever he wants. Why didn't he give Abraham and Sarah this promise? Your family will be like the sands of the seashore, and then bang! A kid every 10 months. 
Why didn't Abraham and Sarah have 15 kids? Why didn't God give them 75 grandchildren before they died so that they could see God's promise being fulfilled? Why didn't he do that? You tell me. Anybody remember verse 6? Without what? Faith, it is impossible to please God. God wanted Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and us to understand that with God all things are possible and to trust Him. Why doesn't God answer me? Why doesn't he do what I need him to do? My heart is being ripped out. My guts are all over the floor. My my family's in disarray. I don't have 10 bucks to pay the rent next month. Why doesn't God just do it? I know he can do it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He wants us to trust him. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. How then should we live? Any guesses? By grace, through faith. You must be willing to trust God in the unknown. The Apostle Peter says in chapter 4 of 1 Peter that we must entrust our souls to the faithful Creator. You must be willing to trust God in the unknown. Where is the unknown in your life? Is it your health? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it your money? Is it your job? The reason why this is here for us, folks, is to challenge us to entrust our souls to the God who can cause a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to have a healthy child. And by the way, I don't know if any of you are thinking about this, But this went to a whole other level a bit later, didn't it? Because this God of eternity, do you remember what he did? We celebrate it every year when it starts getting cold. That's my hint. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Even more incredible, even more unbelievable then God causing a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to have a child was that God caused a virgin to conceive a child who would be our Savior. That's who we are called to entrust our lives to. Trust the God who can do this. Trust the God who can do the impossible with all of your need, with all of your fears, with all of the unknown of your life. 
I want to close by just reading you a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read them out of order. For some reason, as I read this passage in Hebrews, they make even more sense to me in this way. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul says, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's what we're talking about, living by faith, not by sight. Verse 17, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This verse is really hard when our lives are full of unknown, difficult things because Paul says, that compared to eternity, what we're walking through right now is brief. Difficulty never seems brief, does it? It's like, how long do we have to do this? Paul says compared to eternity, it's brief. And it's not insurmountable. It's preparing us for eternity. Why, God? Why so much unknown? Because I want you to trust me. I want you to believe that I can do the impossible, and I want you to alter your walk, and I want you to walk with me and set aside what you want and do what I'm asking you to do. And trust that it is the best for you. Then verse 16. So we do not lose heart. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Paul. Easier said than done. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Sometimes it feels like life is just covered with coarse sandpaper, and every time it rubs against us, it takes another layer off. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed. And so we focus on the unseen, on the future, the builder and the architect of which is who? God. God. You know what he says in Revelation 21? After everything is done, after the world is done, after time is done, after all the judgment is over, after God has thrown Satan into the bottomless pit for eternity, after he has judged all those who have rejected him, and all that are left are those who belong to him. Do you know what he says? Revelation 21, verse 3, I will be your God and you will be my people. He says, come here, come here, into my arms, into what I have prepared for you. So what are we going to do? Are we going to trust him for the unknown? That's what he's calling us to. Yes, that's the answer. Yes, I will do that. I will trust him for what I cannot see. For you are there. 
Father, would you come alongside us today and give us the strength and the courage to walk by faith into the unknown. You know every heart, you know every person here this morning, Lord. Some perhaps are facing the most unknown thing of their entire lives. Will you give them grace and mercy? Will you give them strength and peace and the knowledge that their lives, that their future is in your hands? And we will all walk by faith together, Father. That is our desire until we reach that promise. The city that you have built, the one that will never crumble, that will never decay, that will never disappoint. For you are there. And we will fully, in every way, to the greatest extent possible, be your people. Until then, Father, help us to be your people here on this earth. Help us to be faithful. Help us to keep going. Help us to trust. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here, folks. I hope you have a great week.